Nether Words. Read for you by Charles Logan. A Princess of Mars by Edgar Rice Burroughs. Chapter 18 Chained in Warhoon. It must have been several hours before I regained consciousness, and I well remember the feeling of surprise which swept over me as I realized that I was not dead. I was lying among a pile of sleeping silks and furs in the corner of a small room in which there were several green warriors, and bending over me was an ancient and ugly female. As I opened my eyes, she turned to one of the warriors, saying, Here we'll live, or Jed. Tis well, replied the one so addressed, rising and approaching my couch. Here should render rare sport for the great games. And now as my eyes fell upon him, I saw that he was no Thark, for his ornaments and metal were not of that horde. He was a huge fellow, terribly scarred about the face and chest, and with one broken tusk and a missing ear. Strapped on either breast were human skulls, and depending from these, a number of dried human hands. His reference to the great games of which I had heard so much while among the Tharks convinced me that I had but jumped from purgatory into Gehenna. After a few more words with the female, during which she assured him that I was now fully fit to travel, the Jed ordered that we mount and ride after the main column. I was strapped securely to as wild and unmanageable a thoat as I had ever seen, and with a mounted warrior on either side to prevent the beast from bolting, we rode forth at a furious pace in pursuit of the column. My wounds gave me but little pain, so wonderfully and rapidly had the applications and injections of the female exercised their therapeutic powers, and so deftly had she bound and plastered the injuries. Just before dark, we reached the main body of troops shortly after they had made camp for the night. I was immediately taken before the leader, who proved to be the Jeddak of the Hordes of Warhoon. Like the Jed who had brought me, he was frightfully scarred, and also decorated with the breastplate of human skulls and dried dead hands, which seemed to mark all the greater warriors among the Warhoons, as well as to indicate their awful ferocity, which greatly transcends even that of the Tharks. The Jeddak, Bar Komas, who was comparatively young, was the object of the fierce and jealous hatred of his old lieutenant, Dak Kova, the Jed who had captured me, and I could not but note the almost studied efforts which the latter made to affront his superior. He entirely omitted the usual formal salutation as we entered the presence of the Jeddak, and as he pushed me roughly before the ruler, he exclaimed in a loud and menacing voice, I have brought a strange creature wearing the metal of a Thark, whom it is my pleasure to have battle with a wild thought at the great games. He will die as Barkomas, your Jeddak, sees fit, if at all, replied the young ruler, with emphasis and dignity. If at all, roared Dakkova, by the dead hands at my throat, but he shall die, Bar Comas. 
nor maudlin weakness on your part shall save him. Or would that Warhoon were ruled by a real Jeddak rather than by a water-hearted weakling from whom even old Dakova could tear the metal with his bare hands? Bar Komas eyed the defiant and insubordinate chieftain for an instant, his expression one of haughty, fearless contempt and hate. And then without drawing a weapon and without uttering a word, he hurled himself at the throat of his defamer. I never before had seen two green Martian warriors battle with nature's weapons, and the exhibition of animal ferocity which ensued was as fearful a thing as the most disordered imagination could picture. They tore at each other's eyes and ears with their hands and with their gleaming tusks repeatedly slashed and gored until both were cut fairly to ribbons from head to foot. Bar Comas had much the better of the battle, as he was stronger, quicker, and more intelligent. It soon seemed that the encounter was done, saving only the final death thrust, when Bar Comas slipped in breaking away from a clinch. It was the one little opening that Dak Kova needed, and hurling himself at the body of his adversary, he buried his single mighty tusk in Bar Comus's groin, and with a last powerful effort ripped the young Jeddak wide open the full length of his body, the great tusk finally wedging in the bones of Bar Comus's jaw. Victor and vanquished, rolled limp and lifeless upon the moss, a huge mass of torn and bloody flesh. Bar Comas was stone dead, and only the most Herculean efforts on the part of Dak Kova's females saved him from the fate he deserved. Three days later, he walked without assistance to the body of Bar Comas, which, by custom, had not been moved from where it fell and placing his foot upon the neck of his erstwhile ruler, he assumed the title of Jeddak of Warhoon. The dead Jeddak's hands and head were removed to be added to the ornaments of his conqueror, and then his women cremated what remained amid wild and terrible laughter. The injuries to Dak Kova had delayed the march so greatly that it was decided to give up the expedition which was arrayed upon a small Thark community in retaliation for the destruction of the Incubator, until after the Great Games, and the entire body of warriors, ten thousand in number, turned back toward Warhoon. My introduction to these cruel and bloodthirsty people was but an index to the scenes I witnessed almost daily while with them. They are a smaller horde than the Tharks, but much more ferocious. Not a day passed but that some members of the various Warhoon communities met in deadly combat. I have seen as high as eight mortal duels within a single day. We reached the city of Warhoon after some three days' march, and I was immediately cast into a dungeon and heavily chained to the floor and walls. Food was brought me at intervals, but owing to the utter darkness of the place, I do not know whether I lay there days or weeks or months. It was the most horrible experience of all my life, and that my mind did not give way to the terrors of that inky blackness has been a wonder to me ever since. The place was filled with creeping, crawling things. Cold, sinuous bodies passed over me when I lay down, 
and in the darkness I occasionally caught glimpses of gleaming, fiery eyes, fixed in horrible intentness upon me. No sound reached me from the world above, and no word would my jailer vouchsafe when my food was brought to me, although I at first bombarded him with questions. Finally, all the hatred and maniacal loathing for these awful creatures who had placed me in this horrible place was centered by my tottering reason upon this single emissary who represented to me the entire horde of Warhoons. I had noticed that he always advanced with his dim torch to where he could place the food within my reach, and as he stooped to place it upon the floor, his head was about on a level with my breast. So, with the cunning of a madman, I backed into the far corner of my cell when next I heard him approaching, and gathering a little slack of the great chain which held me in my hand, I waited his coming crouching like some beast of prey. As he stooped to place my food upon the ground, I swung the chain above my head and crashed the links with all my strength upon his skull. Without a sound, he slipped to the floor, stone dead. Laughing and chattering like the idiot I was fast becoming, I fell upon his prostrate form, my fingers feeling for his dead throat. Presently they came in contact with a small chain at the end of which dangled a number of keys. The touch of my fingers on these keys brought back my reason with the suddenness of thought. No longer was I a gibbering idiot, but a sane, reasoning man with the means of escape within my very hands. As I was groping to remove the chain from about my victim's neck, I glanced up into the darkness to see six pairs of gleaming eyes, fixed, unwinking, upon me. Slowly they approached, and slowly I shrank back from the awful horror of them. Back into my corner I crouched, holding my hands, palms out, before me, and stealthily on came the awful eyes, until they reached the dead body at my feet. Then, slowly, they retreated, but this time with a strange, grating sound. And finally, they disappeared in some black and distant recess of my dungeon.